uh, we are working our way through the book of Esther um, for anyone who's uh, joining us this morning. And uh, Esther is a book that you can find in the Old Testament, uh, the first part of the Bible. So if you um, want to find that in your Bible or find it on your phone, we're in Esther chapter four. That was wonderful, Raj, sharing with us about events uh, happening some 2000 years ago that we'll be celebrating that perhaps you may have uh, even started to celebrate in your house by putting up your Christmas tree. Give me a wave if you've got your Christmas tree up yet. Excellent. Well, these events that we're looking at this morning happened some 500 years um, before um, uh, the Christmas uh, events that we remember this time of year. So this, this story of Esther happened some 500 years before Jesus came. And uh, it's a time when God's people are ruled by um, the Persian Empire. And many of God's people have been moved to the capital of that empire in Susa. And uh, we, 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 we read of um, this lady, Esther, um, a beautiful uh, but orphaned um, young Jewish woman who has been raised by her cousin, Mordecai. And uh, she has, by some strange um, circumstances and events, become uh, queen to the Persian king, to King Xerxes. And uh, we've also read about uh, the king's advisor, um, Haman, he's the bad guy of all this. And uh, he has convinced the king that all the Jews in uh, the, the empire should be put to death. He has convinced the king to kill all of God's people in the kingdom. And so we're going to pick it up at um, chapter four, where Mordecai, um, Esther's cousin um, and, and kind of adopted dad, has heard of this news of uh, what Haman has convinced the king to do. So let's read from chapter four, verse one. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews. And it says that they were fasting and weeping and wailing. And, and it says that many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, so, so we'll just skip a little bit because Esther then find, uh, Esther finds out um, that Mordecai is, um, is mourning in this way and the people are mourning in this way. And so she sends her servants to find out what is happening. And um, Mordecai sends a message back to her explaining what has happened. And uh, he asks Esther, can you, Esther, can you go to the king and uh, ask him to change his mind, ask him to stop this uh, terrible command? Um, but the problem is that the king doesn't know that Esther um, Esther is one of God's people. Esther is a Jew. That He doesn't know that. that, that his, her Jewish identity has been kept secret this time. And so we pick it up again in verse 9 with Esther's reply to Mordecai. So it says this. Hatak went back, that's her servant, went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know 
that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Wow. Okay, so this morning, I want us to see that the Christian life is about both trusting in God, clinging to him, as we heard Nev praying out this morning, uh, and it's also actively responding in faith. And we're going to see that in both the lives of uh, Esther and of Mordecai. So firstly, Mordecai, we're going to look at the priority of Mordecai. See, Mordecai and all God's people, they mourn when they hear this news. They cry and they put sackcloths on and they put ashes on their body. Um, and you kind of think, well, what's the point? What, what is this going to achieve? They're not going to achieve much. Is this just them giving up? Is this ha them having some kind of pity party? Actually, no, no, this is them turning to God. They're turning to God in this time, in this moment. They're looking to him. Uh, and, and a lot of uh, Bible scholars say it's probably similar to the, the time in the book of Joel in the Old Testament where Joel calls the people to repent and to turn to God. And it says this in Joel 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. I think we, we heard those things in the story, didn't we? Fasting and weeping and mourning. Joel is saying, turn your hearts to God. Look, he can rescue you. That's Joel's message to them in a crisis moment. In Joel's day, they were in a crisis moment. And God's people in this story of Esther are the same. In this crisis moment, look to God. See, we're in a crisis moment as well, aren't we, in our days? And you know what? We're to turn to God. We're to look to him. You know, it, 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 may, it may last a little longer. Certainly the, the consequences of it all will last a little longer. But, you know, we're not to be thinking now, you know, we've had some wonderful news over the last few weeks. Wow, vaccines. Vaccines are on their way. Vaccines are here. Phew. Great. We can just, you know, well done ourselves. We can just get on with life. Brilliant. No, no, no. We're to turn to God. We're continuing to keep looking to him. It's interesting. The um, Australian church leader, Mark Sayers, who uh, likes to comment on, on things of culture and movements of God down the ages, uh, he said this, which is really interesting. He said, moments of renewal and revival and awakening 
so often are preceded, that means um, uh, ha something happens before them, they're preceded by crisis. Crisis precedes, comes before renewal, is what he says. Listen, we want, a, we, want a, we want our nation to turn to God, don't we? We want a move of God in our nation and in the nations. And we, we, we shouldn't think that actually, no, no, that's going to come from our clever strategies, our, our clever planning, our clever organization, what we can do. Now, I'm not knocking all those things. They're not, it's not going to come from simply that. That's not going to be the drive. No, no. More often than not, God moves in moments of crisis. We've seen that down the ages. See, in these moments, are we going to cling to God? Are we going to dig into him and say, God, we're looking to you. Lord, if you don't move, all of this stuff, everything we try and do, everything we look to do, is worthless if you don't move, God. Listen, I want to ask you, are you continuing to pray, continuing to call out for our nation, continuing to pray for your school, continuing to pray for your workplace, continuing to pray for your friends? Mordecai made it a priority. Are you making it priority? So that's all we have to do, is it? We just have to cry out to God. That's it. Well, well not exactly. I said the Christian life is turning to God, calling on him, but also actively responding in faith. And that's how we're going to see um, Mordecai and Esther responding and acting courageously. They are two courageous people. Two courageous people who have defining moments in this crisis. See, Mordecai's moment is hearing the news. He hears the news that God's people are going to be killed in the kingdom. And he, he responds, he calls to God, but not only himself. Actually, the people do it as well when they see him and they respond as well. Actually, he leads the people and they follow him. That's leadership, isn't it? Leadership is not necessarily a position not necessarily a title leadership is influence it's how we influence others and mordecai is influencing the people through his actions and esther has her own defining moment as well where she has to display courage but if we're not careful we may actually miss esther's fear we may miss her hesitation her hesitation to do the right thing. She says, look, if I approach the king without being summoned, I could die. She's, this is not, at, at this time, this is not a flourishing marriage, is it? This is, not, this is not a marriage of two equals. We don't know why. Maybe, you know, maybe the king's grown cold. Maybe just over time, he's, you know, picked up other uh, queens or, or, or other women. But you know, this is not a marriage, a flourishing marriage of two equals at this time. The Old Testament scholar John Goldingay says something interesting about this. He says, Esther's hesitation and fear make her faith and courage even more remarkable and the more real to us. She is not a superhero with special powers, but an abused girl put in a horrible position because of what she is, a beautiful Jew. See, we can think courage is the absence of fear. It's just shouting at fear and saying, oh, yeah, get out. You, you've got no, you know, I don't fear at all. No, no, that's not true. 
listen, this is what Nelson Mandela said. Nelson Mandela, who was um, a political prisoner for many years in those dark days of apartheid in South Africa, and actually became the first uh, black president of, of South Africa, of a freed South Africa. He said this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. See, living the Christian life takes courage. But it's not a courage that comes from inside. It's not a courage that is kind of we, we from somehow inside of ourselves in, uh, overcome the fear in our lives. No, no, it's from looking to God, as we've already said. It's about seeing his love, seeing his greatness, seeing his goodness, seeing all that he has done and all that he is doing. You know, you and I, we need this type of courage. I love what uh, Harold said to us um, uh, in our summer series when we looked at Moses and Harold spoke to us about defining moments, if you remember that. And it was fascinating him saying, one of your defining moments may be whether you accept today Jesus into your life. I thought, you know, that's so right. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need a defining moment today to accept Jesus into your life. But we all have defining moments. We will have defining moments. They may not be on the kind of nationally significant scale as Zester and Mordecai's are, but they may actually be in some of the seemingly small decisions of life. And those small decisions are defining moments, a kind of everyday courage when you're with your friends, um, when they ask you about your faith, or when you're at school and, you know, you're tempted just to, to cheat at that piece of schoolwork because, well, everyone does it. Or uh, whether um, you're on your phone and you're, when you're on your own and, you know what, you're just tempted to look at stuff you know you shouldn't look at but you know there's a defining moment there where you're going to say you know what it's a small decision but i'm gonna i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna go god's way or maybe when it's when you kind of just feel the pressure appears you say do you know what i'm gonna have a defining moment now i'm gonna i'm gonna um, courageously live for god speak for him You know, I, I think of these stories we've heard over recent weeks, uh, perhaps on Alpha or on our Sunday mornings, uh, on our Belong series. We've heard some wonderful stories. You know, all those stories took people of courage to step out. They did. It took people of courage to step out and speak about Jesus or step out and uh, do an act of kindness. Or step out and respond to what they sense God speaking to them about. Courage. They always... We, they all needed small moments of courage. But they were defining moments for people. Where do you need courage today? Listen, God wants to give you courage today. There's going to be a moment at the end when we pray where we, I really believe there's, there's moments where I just want you to think about where do I need courage for today? OK, so I said courage was not from within. We said, no, no, no. Actually, courage is looking to God. We get courage when we look to God and see him in all his greatness. That's, that's it. But also there is something else in this account that drives Esther's courage. And that's my final point. And it's about identity. 
who she saw herself as, the identity of Esther. See, we've called this series Take Hold. And uh, it's about, you know, taking hold of the Christian life. It's about, you know, what does it mean to grow in friendship with God? What does it mean to inspire and lead others to do the same, to walk with God, to grow in him? And uh, it's interesting that um, Esther, uh, Esther is the only character in this account that has two names. Did you know that? She's called uh, Hadassah. That's uh, uh, the name, which is one of God's people. She's Hadassah. She's also called Esther. Um, she's a Persian queen. And she's having to decide, what's my true identity? Which one is it? And Mordecai reminds her who she is. He says, you know, you're one of God's people. And uh, don't think that you will escape death just because you're in the royal household. You know, that, this seems to cause her to approach the king. And, uh, you know, he's saying, don't forget, Esther, who you are. Friends, friends, knowing our identity is so, so important to the Christian life. It's so, so important to living out who we are in God. This is what we see in the New Testament. This is what we see the Apostle Paul saying in uh, Ephesians chapter two. And uh, he explains how living for God comes out of identity. He says this, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, understanding your identity, understanding you are a child of God, understanding I'm alive in Christ, I'm seated with him. It's so, so important. I love how Sarush started this morning about identity, didn't he? Talking about, you know, we're, we're not orphans. We're, we're children of God. We're children of the living God. This is, this is the basis for right living. It's the basis for good works. See, Mordecai leaves Esther wondering, you know, maybe, maybe you've become a queen for such a time as this. Maybe becoming queen has been for this good work. The Apostle Paul says this, you are God's handiwork. He's prepared good works for you to do. He doesn't leave us wondering at all. For such a time as this, you've been, you've been, create, you've been um, made a child of God, God's, God's handiwork, God's masterpiece for such a time as this, for good works, so that you might be a blessing to others, so that you might reveal Jesus to the world. See, some of us get it the wrong way around. Some of us get the order wrong. We kind of go, right, I need to do good works in order to gain an identity, to do good works in order to become a child of God. No, no, no. We need to know the security of being God's child, the security of being alive in Christ. And now out of that identity, that new identity in him, we're called to do good works. See, we've got four values. 
for We Values in Jubilee, don't we? I can't hear you because you're all muted and I don't want you to unmute yourselves, but can we remember our four We Values? We rejoice, we welcome, we inspire, and we go. And they've all got sub lines to them. And if you remember, the one for we inspire is we inspire because God is our father. Because God is our father. You know, that inspires us, knowing our identity, knowing we're a child of God. You know, that inspires us to live. That inspires us to lead others. That inspires us to influence the world. Because we know who we are. We're secure in our identity. Listen, I know for many of you, perhaps even people have tried to slap a different identity on you. They've tried to say this, or maybe over the years they've, they've said this, or, you know, you sense the enemy trying to rob you of your identity. No, no, that's not you. That's not who you are. No, no, you're just worthless, or you're just this or that. Listen, the world, the enemy wants to rob us of our identity. We're children of God. We're alive in Christ. Listen, that's your identity this morning. Live it out. Live it out. Okay, so three ways, calling on God, uh, courage in the midst of, midst of fear, and knowing our identity. And we're almost at an end here. But do you know what? Ultimately, ultimately, this story is not about Esther and Mordecai. It's not about you or me. It's actually about Jesus. Let me explain. See, Esther's life, her actions, first and foremost, point us to Jesus, point us to him who would come some 500 years later that we'll be celebrating in December. They point us to him. Look at this. Esther identifies with her people and acts to save them. Jesus identifies with us, coming as a man, and he acts to save us. Esther risks her life for the sake of the people. Jesus just didn't risk his life. Actually, he gave it up for the sake of you and for me. Esther waits three days, not knowing what the outcome will be. If I perish, I perish before she approaches the king. Jesus, gloriously, on the third day, is raised to life, victorious. So as I finish, I want us to see Jesus, the great hero. Jesus, the one who has done it all and in who we find our identity and we find courage. For the days ahead. Listen, what are you continuing to cling to God today? Are you continuing to look to find your um, courage through him? Where do you need courage today? Where do you need to hear that you, are, where do you need to take hold of your identity again today? Find your identity in him afresh this morning. We're going to pray, have an opportunity to do that and then finish with worship. And uh, I'm going to hand over to Sarush, who's going to help lead us in this time of prayer.